it's all about putting the customer first and foremost so we can talk to them in their language in the way they want to be heard. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host for today, and I'm really excited to speak with Chris Barton on making your passion your business, leading the digital marketing solutions business. And Chris, really happy to have you join us today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Great to be here. Excited to talk with you today. We're excited too. And Chris leads digital marketing solutions DMS uh, at Gannett and brings a unique mix of business, design, data, and technical acumen to his role. He most recently served as Gannett's chief product officer and in that role drove product development for Gannett's consumer and marketing products. Previously, he led a global team as Reach Local's chief product officer overseeing product and technology, receiving numerous industry awards. Chris was previously chief operating officer at Nero, a multimedia software company. Prior to Nero, he served in leadership roles at Microsoft Corporation, Omniture, later acquired by Adobe. In Novell Corporation, Chris is a graduate of Brigham Young University. So, Chris, I, I wanted to start out. You've you've had a really interesting career path. Uh, we've had all the opportunity to interact with some great people, and I was hoping you could tell our listeners a little about your background and how your passion has gotten you to where you are in in your career today. Sure. Yeah. So uh, when when I was going to to school, you know, in college and and, and going through that. Um, one of the things that motivated me was I wanted to make as much money as I could, which uh, <laughs> sounds sort of, uh, I don't know, shallow, but um, wanted to do that. And, and I found one of the best ways to do that was actually just internships that were out there uh, rather than, than working at the local store or whatever that a lot of other kids were doing. I just went to different companies and uh, found internships and I found they paid a little bit better as well. And, uh, and some of the things I was exposed to were a little more interesting. So I started doing that. And um, figured out a couple things about myself. The first thing was I loved technology. Um, it was the early early days of the internet. We're just kind of you know just starting and, and, and merging. Just dated myself maybe there, but uh, uh, <laughs> you know, that that was going. So I loved it. I was just really interested in it. I loved marketing. I met several people and did a couple internships. My major was was marketing communications and loved that. But I also loved creating things. And so I, I had this sort of creative side to me. I wanted to, to get out and, uh, and, and I found this, I heard about some people in different roles and I found this role called product management, which I knew nothing about because there were no, no courses on that at the school I went to. It wasn't, wasn't really a thing people talked about. And, uh, but I, I heard people say, oh, I'm a product manager or things like that. I was like, what is that? And so uh, I became interested in it and, uh, and ended up getting uh, one of my first jobs uh, was, you know, out of school was actually as a product manager and ended up going to, to a few different companies. You, you mentioned some of them in the intros, but as I went through those companies, I really uh, you know, learned a little bit more about product management. That just became a passion for me, something I was interested in. It taught me different aspects of the business. And uh, along the way, I got exposed to a ton of really interesting leaders, uh, people who were uh, well-known names, some other names that weren't as well-known, who taught me a lot of things along the way. So, um, and, and love to talk about some of those, but that's kind of, you know, part of what got me into it and how I got, got going was finding this love for how these intersections of technology, marketing, and creating things came together in this discipline called product management. That's great, Chris. That, that's really good context. You mentioned kind of bumping into a lot of people along the way. Any anecdotes, any people of interest that, that we, our listeners might like to hear more about? 
Yeah, yeah, I would love to. And, and I think we've all had our experiences that are different. But for me, a few that stood out that really sort of affected me, some major leaders of, of industry. So, you know, Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates at Microsoft and being able to interact and learn from them. Uh, little story I'll tell you about Steve Jobs was one that really impacted me and got to do a keynote with him. But um, as I kind of go through those people, one of the things I learned about all those great leaders and, and people, at least from my perspective, was they had this great ability to context switch. And, and what I mean by that is they were able to adjust their conversation really easily to the audience based on the topic and even based on the personality of who they're interacting with. And I, I got to see that up close and personal, and it was just so impressive to me. And I just immediately said to myself, I want to be like those people. Um, and, and so like a couple little anecdotes there. One um, early person that many people may not know, uh, but there's a, a gentleman by the name of Lynn Robbins, and he uh, was one of the founders of a company, Franklin uh, Covey and, and Franklin Planners and all that. And, and it was all about time management and all that. And he taught me a lot about planning your day and being very purposeful in every day and how you get things done. Uh, these concepts of time boxing, uh, where you, you know, which is a common practice today, but uh, at the time I didn't know a term for it. He just taught like, hey, think about how long it's going to take you to do a task and put that in your day and plan that way. And you'll be 10 to 20% more productive if you don't do that. So I, that was something I learned of just being very uh, intentional about my day every day. Uh, learned that from, from Lynn Robbins. Uh, another person that, that jumps out to me is, was a CEO of Omniture, a guy named Josh James, who's a big thought leader. He's now the CEO of a company called Domo, a uh, big BI le leading software and tech company, and a big pioneer sort of the SaaS uh, product set and, and how that business model. But he had this culture of excitement that he would always create. Whenever you were around Josh, he was always kind of hyping people up and getting them excited about their job. He was so good at it. And he, would, he was famous. This was the startup days. But he would, you know, walk around and, and hand out, you know, find you at odd times of the day, people that were working hard. And he'd like give them a $100 bill and say, thanks for working here, you know. And it just created this like um, very uh, impromptu sort of uh, culture where like he wanted to catch you in the moment of doing good things and he rewarded you for that. And I, and I loved that. And other thing that he did that I always loved and has stuck in my mind forever is he would walk into meetings sometimes there'd be a tendency to get big meetings. And as a startup, you, you don't want a lot of big meetings because it means you're not working. You're just, you're just sitting around talking. He'd walk in and he'd look around and he'd just like almost interrupt the meeting and he'd count across the table and go one, two, three, four, five, 12. Okay. 12 people times this many, uh, this, this average salary, this meeting's costing us. And he'd name a number and say how much this meeting is costing us right now. Is he like, are we getting that kind of value for, in the business? And it was just a, a way to make you think and go, geez, should everybody be here? Uh, and then um, the, the last one I'd share on that is uh, Steve Jobs, which was one of the highlights for me personally. I, I grew up uh, and watched him a lot and just admired his style, his ability to market, communicate, his leadership, uh, leading Apple. And uh, when I was at Microsoft, uh, was working in a group called the Mac Business Unit, which is kind of an interesting uh, dichotomy there of your at Microsoft doing Mac products. But it was, at the time, it was the largest actually Mac development shop in the world outside of Apple. Uh, and it was at Microsoft. And, and we built a lot of different products and services. And um, we had built a new version of Microsoft Office and I got picked to go uh, talk to Apple about it. And so my first interactions was with uh, Phil Schiller, who led marketing, and then a guy named Ron Okamoto, who led their sort of uh, app and developer relations. 
and I, I just kind of, nobody gave me any direction or anything. I swung from the hip and tried to just be funny and creative and, and do my best. And, uh, and they, they looked at the end and they said, uh, great, we'd like to have you meet with Steve Jobs and, and pitch this to him. And uh, I didn't really know to what end I was doing that, but I was super excited about it. Said yes, came back a, a few days later. And I learned a couple of things when I met Steve the first time. So there was a large group of people and uh, when Steve came in, he was ready to start the meeting and he asked everyone except for three of the people, myself being one of them, to leave. He goes, OK, uh, everyone can leave unless you're needed. And again, it sort of reinforced that lesson I learned with Josh James, which is don't be in a meeting unless you have a real exact purpose and role. And he was he was very deliberate about that. And so that was one thing I learned from him. And then I did my little pitch and, you know, it was a surreal moment because it's like one of your idols you're kind of pitching to and talking to. And he's kind of nodding his head. And I was not really sure what kind of feedback he'd give me, but he stopped and he, he stared at me for a second. And the thing he decided to focus on and give me feedback on was the transparency of a chart that I had in one of the presentations. Uh, and he goes, I think uh, that that transparency you're using there, it's probably at about 30%. Could you go up a little higher, maybe 40, 50? And the, just the command of detail that he had and the specificity of wanting to make sure everything looked perfect and looked right was something that just always stuck with me and uh, was a great experience. So those are a couple things in that that background that uh, just made it fun. And learning from people all along the way has been uh, something I've tried to do and, and I think serves us all well. That's really awesome. Very exciting. I can imagine how you felt in, in that situation. So all of that experience and, and all of those people who you've met and all the people that you've learned from has, has led you to this. And where Gannett recently has reorganized into a business unit led model where you are now the president of digital marketing solutions, as I mentioned, DMS. Uh, that's a piece of the business. And, and I guess what would be helpful for our listeners is to understand what was kind of the intent behind the decision, what's Gannett hoping to get out of and, and accomplish with this uh, new model? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I do think that there's no such thing as a perfect organization. And, and whenever you know, you're in whatever company you're in, environment you're in, I do think that's a healthy attitude to say, there's nothing that's perfect. There's always trade-offs you're making around people and personalities and dynamics and business goals and all that. But I do think that um, one of the things at least I've found is that you can align your organization to your business goals. And, um, and your business goals probably are somewhat consistent, but they might change year to year a little bit as you have different areas of focus. And so doing that and, and keeping those aligned is important. And every year as a company, and especially within the teams I've always led, we make an explicit goal to look at our team structure and our goals for the upcoming year and make sure that those two align and that we don't have areas of disconnect. And so that was part of the impetus, I would say, of it, of just making sure we can achieve our business goals. But it really, I do think organizations should be designed around outcomes, not around job security for individuals. And that can be tough uh, to, to deal with. Uh, easier said than done is are most things. But, um, you know, as a company, we have five strategic priorities. Four are related to growing our business. One's about our people and the diversity that we want to try and foster. And, and, this, and really, our first two uh, strategic priorities are the main two goals of our business. And so we reorganized around those two. Um, and, and one of them is growing this business, uh, turning it into a, a billion-dollar business. And, and that's something we're well on our way to doing that. Um, and so, so that was really the goal, is getting that done, getting speed, focus, uh, growth that could be aligned so we could move faster. 
And for us, uh, an element of that is our, our market cap and our enterprise value, you know, being able to tell a part of the story within the company that we believe today is getting overlooked and, uh, and doing that. So that's, that's then manifest in everything we do and how we talk to our employees now, um, obviously how we're organized, how we talk to our board and to investors is in the context of these business units. So it was a holistic kind of view of trying, trying to get that right. But I think it comes down to, is your organization aligned to your business goals and your outcomes? And uh, for us, we felt it wasn't perfectly aligned. So we wanted to make some changes to get there. That's great. Um, makes a ton of sense uh, to you know have the end result in, in mind as as you develop the structure, right? And so, as I understand it, you're you're focused on uh, small businesses, SMB, and and during our earlier conversation, you mentioned premium SMB, and and I was wondering if you could kind of expand on that concept a little bit for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, when there's different terminology and all that that everybody uses, but SMB is a pretty general term that most people understand. I think that often when people talk about SMB, they forget the M sometimes. There's there's medium-sized businesses in there. But but when you look across the US market specifically, um, there's about 32 million SMBs in the US uh, right now. And um, what's interesting about them is Almost 31 million of them, the lion's share, so 31 of the 32 million are small SMBs. They're, they're really small. Um, and, and we define them largely by number of employees and the, the amount of, of money they're spending on, on the types of services we offer. And so, um, you know, typically they're less than 10 employees and, uh, and pretty small. So that's, that's kind of small SMB. We have defined that our bread and butter is the segment that's just above that. And there's a little over a million of them. We call them a premium SMB. Um, They have anywhere typically from 10 to to 99 employees. That's kind of their their sweet spot size. And they're spending anywhere from 12 to to $240,000 a year on the types of services that that we offer. And, And we focus on them because they've got slightly larger budgets. They're a little clearer about what they're doing. They're a little more established in terms of they're not, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the smaller SMBs are, are going out of business very quick. As fast as they're starting, they're also going out of business. So they're a little more stable and they they understand the value of marketing. They're past that sort of like, what am I trying to do to like, they, they understand they have a business and that business can be anywhere from, they could be a, a dental practice to a, 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 a roofer, you know, put, puts roofs mm-hmm. on homes, a plumber or something like that. Uh, they could be a, a, a secondary education, a, but different types of businesses. We, there are different verticals we cater to. But that premium SMB is really that, that segment that sits on the, the slightly larger side um, and, and understands the value of marketing, which is ultimately the this, uh, product set that we're offering, the solution that we're, we're providing for them. Excellent. Um, and, and I think as the leader of the DMS uh, business, you need to think about not only the relationship between you and your customers, but though, then also the relationship between your customers and their end customers, kind of that B2B to C thought or structure. So what, what's the opportunity that that creates for you? How do you think about it? And then what's the opportunity for Gannett in that relationship? Yeah, I, I, uh, as I was thinking about that, I, a couple things came to mind. One is uh, earlier in my career at Microsoft, again, I was working on, on, a product set. And we, we used to do all these studies uh, where we would understand how customers were using their perception and all that. And that's common practice in, in software development. They're called usability studies. So we, we, we were doing those and um, remember some feedback that we were getting in a focus group where 
these customers, people who are using the products and services, they were saying, well, I have my own business. I, I do my own things, whatever. But how good the, the file I, I create, whether it's a PowerPoint presentation or the Excel spreadsheet or the Word document, whatever, how good that looks is a reflection of me to my customer. And so um, it, you know, they, they kept saying, Our, your job, Microsoft, is to make me look good. They, they would say that often. And, um, and, and that was a theme that I, I just have heard throughout my, my, my career over and over again is your job is to make them look good when you're in a role like this. So for us, you know, one of the key roles that we see playing is making them look good. How do we make them show up well at the right time in the right place? And how do we uh, ultimately be, be a reflection of who they are to their business? And so when we think about that, we're thinking about one making sure we do our jobs well and that we're trustworthy, reliable, predictable, all the good things that they want in any partner, but also that we create opportunities uh, for them to, to do their best and, and, and do their best work. And so are there reminders they can do to, to remember their, their customer's birthday or are little things that are important to them? And can we be a, a catalyst in helping that happen with the tools and the services that we provide? And so we're always looking for, for ways to do that. And I think that's where the, the, the magic happens is when the, the customer ultimately feels that they look really good to their client. Um, that's, that's when we've done our job well. And uh, we're not necessarily the focus of that conversation. We're just someone that enabled that and made it, made it happen. So focusing on those outcomes, making them look good to others, that's really mm-hmm. the, the focus for us. Great. Uh, you know, Gannett's traditional business obviously is in newspapers, and there's a lot of local publications that Gannett has as a, in its portfolio. And you you talked earlier about um, with me uh, uh, prior to the podcast about be, having that commitment to the local community, and um, and then also the success of that community from an economic standpoint, right? So, how does that commitment to helping small businesses? help you build a relationship with them and then also with the, with the extended community. Yeah, that, that's really, really important to us uh, as a company. And I think just as, as, a, as an individual, really being connected and sincere and genuine about your connection to, to the people that you're, you're serving and working with. Um, I believe that starts with um, the people that we hire need to feel comfortable that they can be their true authentic self at work. Um, and that might mean, you know, all the things that we've been taught to sort of stay away from <laughs> in terms of some topics and stuff, as long as it's not offensive, but just bringing those elements of who you are as a person and not being embarrassed or ashamed about it, of course, with a, a, a respect and, and care for each other, but uh, being able to do that. And so that starts with ensuring that we hire people that represents the communities we serve. So are they you know, diverse, like the communities we serve? Uh, do they have the same interests and passions of the communities we serve? Um, and that they can, they can be that when they, they come to work. And so we have a bunch of infrastructure we put in place as a company, uh, things we call uh, employee resource groups, where we're trying constantly to uh, allow people to be their authentic selves, to find passions and things that they're interested in and, and, and do that. So I think that's, that's where it starts. And that allows us to make it personal, uh, make those personal connections with people uh, because we find these connections and and we're able to talk to our customers about them and relate to them. Uh, that then sets us up to be able to have these great connections in all the local markets. And we're very local focused. So we have uh, a, a great focus with our sales teams, our service teams, and just the way we talk about the communities we're in that is very local. Uh, that's what we try and be and, and try and do. Um, our design principles are set up 
uh, to help us build relationships to keep things uh, simple as well uh, and, and how we build uh, and how we do things that are also very understanding of the nuances of how you pronounce that community that's, you know, a, a few miles away uh, that, that the outsider always says wrong, you know, or, or things like that, that we can really bring that natural and, and local feel to it. And, and then the last thing we do as well to just help build communities is try and always focus on the goals and the outcomes of understanding that up front of what is your goal? What are you trying to do? Um, none of our, even though we're a digital marketing company, none of our customers goal is marketing. That's not their goal, right? Their goal is to grow their customer uh, base so they can sell their business one day and retire, or it's to put their kids to college, or it's to, you know, they, they have these different goals and elements that are very personal to them. And if we understand that, that that's front and center, then we can work backward from that and make sure that the technology, the platforms, all that we've built uh, is ultimately designed to do that. That's that's awesome. I, I, it's great how you took it from the local, uh, you know, all, all the way back around. And, and one of the things you mentioned there was... Uh, your customers growing their customer base. And, and certainly that's something that you're looking to do as well as, as heading up of the, uh, the DMS business. So how, how do you find your customers and, and how do you communicate with them in a way that's repeatable, measurable, and also scalable? So we have a, a few different mechanisms of how we acquire and go out and, and uh, work with customers. Um, and largely we call those channels, um, but uh, it's basically, you know, we have different business models where we're engaged with different types of customer segments and profiles. And again, it's all about putting the customer first and foremost, so we can talk to them in their language in the way they want to be heard. But um, a big part of that is our sales force. And we have metrics around, you know, productivity, our customer satisfaction, um, the segments of customers that they're going after that we can track and measure. So that's kind of one bucket. Another bucket of how we do that is purely marketing led. Um, and there we have a different set of metrics that are more unit economics based where we're looking at things like, uh, if you've heard of the terms of like LTV to CAC, which is, you know, customer lifetime value to the customer acquisition cost. Um, and we're trying to measure and, and have benchmarks and ratios we're trying to hit there. Um, at the end of the day, our, I think still our number one acquisition channel is referral. So really doing a good job all the time is, is important. Um, and then we built in other tools in terms of how we make it, yes, about how we make it repeatable and measurable. We actually have uh, some pretty smart people in, in the teams uh, who are data scientists who have built out this thing we call our churn predictor score. And it's, um, it's internally where we can measure based on a bunch of signals and feedback from a customer, whether how likely they are over a 30, 60 and 90 day to potentially leave us and how, how satisfied they are. So we, we use that as part of our engagement and discussion and also as alert mechanism. If that, if that number gets high uh, or, or at a point we feel is, is not acceptable, we're going to change our tactics to really uh, uh, you know, have a better conversation with that customer to hopefully get them more engaged and get them in a better place. So that's, that's really important. I think a couple of the things I would just mention that we do are we have these ride-alongs. So we believe it's important that all of our employees understand what our customers are going through and are empathetic to that. So if you're a, a software engineer at our company, you, you're paired along and go out with a sales person to join in on calls, you know, uh, go visit with, with customers, uh, do all those types of things so that you can really feel what it's like instead of being removed from it in, in a bubble. And uh, I think that as business leaders, one of the worst things you can do is remove yourself from your customers and get sort of in your little bubble. Um, you've got to be seeing what they see, experiencing what they experience regularly 
uh, and that will tell you more than any report you'll ever see. Um, so that's that's a, a big part of what we do and, and why we do it. I even remember one company I was at, we don't, we don't do this exactly here, but one company I was at years ago, it was mandated that everybody in the company had to, it was a, you know, part of the sales thing. Everybody in the company had to spend at least four hours a month sitting on phone support and taking orders and, and, and doing that with customers directly as part of your just job. And it was in the culture and it was just part of a, Hey, you got to understand what this is like and feel it directly. And that, that was an important lesson for me of don't remove yourself from it. Stay involved. That's, that's interesting stuff. I uh, spent some time at Forrester and one of the things they, they talk about is successful companies are customer obsessed companies. And so doing things like having engineers on sales calls, that's certainly customer obsessed or having, uh, you know, different roles, answering phones and, and listening to customer complaints. Again, very, very customer obsessed. And, and so I compliment you on that. So as you evaluate your business, what kind of buying behavior do you look for in your customers to be able to then feed your your personalized audience uh, an individual business message? So being able to talk to them as an individual, um, what are the things that you look for in, in that buying process? So th- th- I think the core of that question comes back to understanding goals and just being aligned on that. Uh, that that's the, the underlying theme in all of it. But um, verticals are important. So for example, a doctor talks to their customers as patients. They're not customers, they're patients, right? Um, and there's a whole set of language they use, uh, terminology they use, and even legal laws, things like uh, HIPAA, familiar with that, but it's your basically your privacy around you know your, your health and, and the information that's shared there that are very different. And if you talk to them, they know all about that, they understand it, and that's important that you speak in that language versus you know a plumber uh, who is talking about customers and it's you know they're, they're trying to think of cross sells and upsells they can do if they're out on a site and a visit and how they can make that experience better create long-term relationships do, do those types of things so um, vertical is important what what type of business they are and that that leads to the the type of conversation that you're having with them and the way the solutions prevented are presented to them um, I think the other thing that we would do is that's important is, really helping the businesses that we work with collect their own first party data. And if you don't didn't know the difference between first party data and, and second party data, first party data is really your own original data that you've collected about your customers. Uh, an example of that is somebody calls you um, and you get their, you know, their phone number, their email and uh, their name and some information about what they want. That would be first party data that you've collected about that customer. Second party data might be, you know, things of, you know, they visited some other websites because you saw that in, in some, some history and, and maybe you can do some lookup information with a, a, another third party source and find out the size of their business and some other things like that. And you're using that to augment who the customer is. Well, there's a bunch of laws and, and uh, general industry shifts that have been going on for a while that are trying to really uh, clamp down on the second and third party data, the reselling of data. And so this is becoming more and more important that you have your own first party data, that you, you keep it clean and, and, uh, and useful to you, and that you're also constantly collecting it where appropriate. And so you can gain trust with customers that allows you as a business to give better personalized experiences, uh, to understand the needs of your own clients or customers more effectively. And so that's a, a big area of focus for us is, is helping them understand how they can collect that and what they can do with that 
that's not intrusive uh, and within the, the permission that's been allowed from their customers, but, but allows for better conversion, uh, better experiences. Uh, and, and like an example, of that would be, we have a feature, for example, if you're running a, a Facebook a campaign and you, uh, you collect a set of uh, customers that are visiting you and, and interacting with you on that Facebook campaign, it gets collected in, into our platform and it's your first party data. We're, we're keeping it all clear and clean and following all the laws and regulations. You can then take that customer set and say, I want to go find them on Google, uh, people just like this on Google. And so in a click of a button, it, it allows us to go find that exact same profile of customers on a different platform. And you're using your own data uh, with your own customer base to, to inform that. So that's a, a case of a way we sort of help them create a better experience, uh, find better uh, outcomes based on their own data and, and personalization. Yeah, so you're you're starting to touch on it with uh, with talking about first party data and helping them with that, but it would be helpful, I think, to understand what the actual solution is that's being offered. So let's say I'm a business and I know the audience that that I want to sell to. What are the marketing services that Gannett is going to bring to the table to help me as a local business? Yeah, uh, this is a question I love, uh, and it's basically so we have a a platform and that platform is called Local IQ. Uh, and what that what that platform does is really it, uh, an end to end sort of and we call it in three different categories of, of solutions for you. So the first set of things you can buy this platform as a whole or you can buy it a la carte with the different pieces. So the the first set of things that it does is what we call find and that's helping you get found online. So build out your website for you. Make sure it's e-commerce enabled, uh, get you optimized for search engines so you're found uh, manage your social profiles if, if, if you need that help and do that for you. And then get you on local directories and maps and all that. So all your name, address, phone number, hours of operations are updated, accurate, and running. So that's the kind of the first bucket of things we do. We call that find. The second bucket is what we call scale, and that is advertising. So I wanna, I've got a basic digital presence. Now I need to drive people into it. How do I do that? So we offer pretty much every type of advertising you can think of. Uh, search, social, video, display, email, you know, all, all the different forms and functions. But where our capabilities are different is in this feature we call cross-media optimization. It's a product that what it does is you set a goal, like I want to get 200 leads next month, or I want to grow my brand awareness, wh whatever it may be. You set your goal and then cross-media takes all those different channels that you might be advertising in and it it has technology that figures that out for you based on your vertical, your location, your product specialties. It'll start with a smart starting point and then it will shift budgets based on what's working and not for your business individually. And then the last uh, category or kind of bucket is what we call convert and keep. And so that is where you now need to understand what's working and what's not. So there's an analytics component to that. And you also need a, a mechanism for communicating with these customers that are visiting you or interacting with you uh, and so there's a CRM, ability to schedule you know, appointments, uh, communicate via chat or email with them and see a full history of how they're interacting with you. And then you can set up um, what's called marketing automation of things like, uh, you know, if, if someone contacted you about a promotion and you want to follow up with them two days later and five days later, it allows you to set all that up so you can have it automated and just running really smoothly. So that system all works together. That's called Local IQ. And I think one of the approaches that we take that's a little different as well is um, sometimes people talk about conversion funnels, which is not a bad word by any means, but 
Um, conversion funnels mean there's a certain way to do it. And what we see more and more now is the customer journey of people that are buying from you. It's all over the place. And so uh, what you really need are not funnels because you'd have to have maybe thousands of funnels for your business, but more flywheels where you're understanding what touch points are and you're understanding how to bring them back into your ecosystem, add some value, and then they might go do something else. You bring them back into your ecosystem and it just keeps creating a larger customer base that's buying and driving more revenue. Excellent. That, that's, that's really great. And, and this question, I think, is one that any marketer is always ready to answer. But <laughs> what, how is it that you, are, uh, you and your organization are adapting for your customers uh, with the current economic downturn, the challenges that small businesses are facing? Certainly, they've come out of the pandemic and some are feeling a little bit better. And now, you know, things are, are looking a little bit more questionable. I'll be interested to hear what your, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, and I think there's kind of two ways could take that question. One way is, um, you know, what are we doing to help the businesses? And the other is, how are we just managing it ourselves? Because I think we're, we're a business at the end of the day, too. Um, I think I'll answer the, the, you know, both of them maybe quickly. The, the first one is, you know, how we're helping them is really... Uh, the solutions that we're trying to provide, we're helping them adapt their business to those needs. So do they need to become more e-commerce enabled? Do they need to have ability to, you know, do more scheduling and virtual appointments and things like that? So our technology is helping them digitize their business to adapt in worlds where maybe they can't get in person, or maybe they need to reach a little bit broadly than their, their current geographic area to drive a little more revenue right now. Um, and, and helping them do that and understand how to do that and expand. Uh, that's part of that. For us as a business and how we do that, I, I do think that whenever tough times come, it's really important to stay rooted in your strategy, um, knowing your strategy, not your tactics. And a lot of times when you ask people their strategy, they will repeat back to you tactics. And, and it, you know, it's sort of a funny disconnect. We're like, that's not a strategy, you know, um, uh, you know, what's your strategy? Well, it's sell more, you know, like that's, that's not a strategy, you know, like um, how are you going to do that? What, what, what are the components of how that works? So I think really understanding that being rooted in, in that, repeating it to you and your team all the time and tweaking it as you need to and understanding, um, are you investing in your strategy through, through the tough times? Cause it's easy to get short-sighted and, and sort of miss the, and, and suddenly you end up in a place you don't want to be in because you took a bunch of short term views. I was, I was just talking with a, a, a young, young guy who uh, he won a sales contest for us recently. And I was just meeting with him and talking with him recently. And he, he said something, uh, I was like, tell me your, I was asked people, tell me your life lessons, you know, what you've learned and all that. Cause I like learning from everybody. And he said, well, my, my, uh, so this is not my idea. It's his, but he goes, my, uh, my, my, my grandfather always told me, how you how you get inside how you get ahead and how you watch things is you understand from the people you're talking with their time horizon when they talk about things uh, and he said the successful people will have a longer time horizon when they're talking about their future what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do and the less successful people will talk about the just the just the right now um and, and what's happening and i thought that was an interesting take and i i, I loved that uh yeah. so i thought that was that was really good that's great. I, I, I had not heard that one before, but I, but I like it. That, that's really good. Um, that, this has been really great. I'm wondering if there are any good reads, a book, a blog, a newsletter, something that, uh, that you could recommend for our listeners. Yeah. So I, um, one thing that I do is I don't actually listen to a ton of, I have a couple I can share, but I don't listen to a ton of just, you know, SMB specific uh, things. I, I try and do some of that, but also just listen to other areas 
things that I'm passionate about and try and apply that back to what I'm doing. I find there's some creativity in that, you know, somebody who's talking about something totally unrelated, like airplanes and like, how can I apply that back to you know, what I'm doing or, or things like that? So, so that just is a, a, a note, but I would say there's a few, I do like the Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, they've got uh, the A16Z uh, podcasts. I love some of their uh, speakers and some of the, the, the content that they have. Uh, uh, Masters of Scale, I think is another good one. Reed Hoffman uh, from Greylock Partners has a, some good one with some stories of how you scale your business and, and get through that. Uh, I love the TLDR newsletter. Uh, it's a great one that gives highlights and overviews of things that are going on in technology and how they're evolving. Um, I, a book that I, I like, and it's a weird recommendation, but I like it because it's just so simple. There's a, a, a book by Paul Smith called The 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell. And um, I like it because one, it's a super fast read. You can read the whole thing in you know less than an hour. But it he just basically sets up that you need as a as a leader and as whatever it is, a marketer, whatever you're doing, you need to be able to tell these core stories about yourself and about your business. And I think it's a nice way to root and have those those in your head so you're you're clear. Um, and then one last thing I throw out: there's this training that I took, and uh, and if you Google it, you can find some some courses on it and things. But I just, it, it changed my life and I love it. It's called precision questioning. And uh, it's, it, it attacks the, the summary of it is it attacks the basic thing of, there's a time more interview style like this where your questions and answers might be longer, more open-ended. But when you're in business meetings and business context to really tighten that up and answer the question. So if someone asks you like, is that, uh, are, we, are we growing or shrinking right now in the business? A lot of people will not answer that question. They'll add a lot of detail and talk around things and provide all this context and never answer the question. And precision questioning teaches you to answer the question and then give some context. So the answer would be yes. And here's why, you know, but like people don't operate that way. And when you learn and, and can get in a rhythm with your colleagues to operate that way, it makes things so efficient um, to just have this precision questioning and answering. I, I have some family members that I think I need to recommend for that. Uh, <laughs> my son, I think sometimes I ask a question and uh, well, I've been guilty of it. Get a lot of information, but not an answer to the question. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, what you you mentioned some some inspirational people that you met earlier in, in the in our our discussion. Are there some good people that you might recommend for for us for the Sunny Side Up podcast? Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's, man, there's so many great people. A couple uh, came to mind uh, that, that are just people that I, I love and, and all that. So one uh, gentleman named Kerry Ransom, and uh, he's a founder at a company called Operate. Uh, love, love Kerry, great guy, big idea guy, talks a lot with different companies and startups and how they're operating and doing things. He actually sold a company to us. Uh, that's how I got to know him oh, wow. and uh, great, great guy. Uh, another person is uh, Russell Brent Brunson. Uh, he is a founder of a company called ClickFunnels, and uh, I know him very well through a, a family member. Uh, but he is just a, a great person, really inspiring, motivational speaker, uh, very focused on the marketing space and, and how you can really uh, build momentum around ideas and get people to to act on that. Um, another person that uh, mentioned. Uh, woman that I just started learning a little bit more about. Uh, I've never met her, but had some interesting ideas. Shama Hyder is her name. Um, and uh, she's, uh, you know, got some really interesting ideas. She's really kind of follows cutting edge 
uh, some of the digital technologies and things that are coming out and uh, has some interesting ideas and perspectives around marketing and how to grow. So uh, those are a few for you to get going. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. If you can share with us, how, how can people get in touch with you uh, after the podcast if, if they'd like to reach out? Yeah. Um, LinkedIn's always great. I'm uh, Chris with a K, K-R-I-S, Barton. Uh, my, my LinkedIn name's K Barton. Um, and then uh, Twitter uh, as well. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm uh, at Chris J Barton. And again, that's uh, Chris with a K. So uh, uh, love to connect and uh, learn a little bit more about others and what they're doing. That's awesome. Thank you, Chris, so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Glad that you were able to join us on the show today. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Andrew. Great. Thanks. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 